We're throwing off the filters of tradition and culture to discover what the Bible really says about our relationships, relationships with God, with ourselves, and with others. Welcome to this episode of Relationship Truth Unfiltered. Welcome, I'm Julie Sedanko here with relationship expert, Leslie Vernick. And today we're talking about separating. We're going to dig into some pretty big questions like, are there biblical reasons to separate? If so, when is the right time to separate? What does a healthy separation look like? And how do you know if and when it's safe to return? Leslie, that's a lot to answer in one episode. Yes, it is. (laughs) (laughs) First, I thought we should tackle this belief out there that physical abuse is worse than emotional abuse. I say that because I don't think any sane pastor would tell a woman who's being beaten that God wants her to stay in the home. Those women are usually told to leave, but when it comes to emotional abuse, we see women all the time being told that they have to stay in order to please God. Why do you think that is? Is physical abuse worse than emotional abuse? Well, in the moment, it might feel worse, but the long-term cumulative effects of emotional abuse I mean, the Bible says a broken spirit who can bear. The Bible is very clear of the long-term damage of emotional abuse. For example, in Proverbs eleven nineteen, it says, by their words, the godless destroy their friends or reckless words pierce like a sword. So if a woman went to her pastor and said, hey, my husband's, you know, stabbing me every night with a knife, I can't imagine that that pastor would say, well, I try to make it work, honey. But if he's stabbing her every night with reckless words, it's the same effect. Jesus likens reckless words to tongue murder. And the Bible is really clear both in the Old Testament and the New Testament. In Ephesians and Colossians and James, it talks about the power of the tongue and the destructiveness of the tongue. And James is very clear, brothers or sisters, this should not be that you praise God and you curse one another. And so the Bible's really clear, let no unwholesome word come out of your mouth. Why not? Because it hurts people. And so emotional abuse is very damaging. And that whole nursery rhyme, sticks and stones will break my bones or words never hurt me, isn't true. It's not true. just <laughs> not true. Some people's skin is a little th- thicker than others for sure, but words do hurt us. And the Bible is really clear that the words of others do hurt us. But let me just say something a little bit deeper, and maybe we just need to do a different podcast on this. Whether it's physical abuse or emotional abuse, the purpose of these strategies are to control and oppress. And so if I can get you to stop talking or stop arguing with me about your point of view by calling you a name, then that works. If I can get you to plead with me to come back to the bedroom by not talking to you for two weeks in the silent treatment, well, then that works. And so we need to understand that all of these behaviors in in abusive strategies, whether it's hitting you or scaring you or shouting you down or not talking to you forever or calling you names or financially controlling all the money are tactics used to control and oppress. And that's the very definition of an abusive relationship. And actually, when people are captured by the enemy in wartime, the oppressors know that the best way to break down the prisoner is through psychological means, not physical. So they can torture you and you can still somewhat stay strong inside. But if they start isolating you and they start Uh, confusing your mind with wrong information and they start intimidating you and bullying you and 
and humiliating you, uh, that breaks down your spirit. And now everything is broken down. In talking about emotional abuse, just so that we're all on the same page, what would constitute emotional abuse? Well, I think when someone is constantly belittling you, criticizing you, ridiculing you, demeaning you can be emotional abuse, especially if maybe in a family, someone grew up that way. When someone treats you that way and you say, wait a minute, I don't like that. Stop. Ouch hurt that. You know, that hurts my feelings. And then they make fun of you for that. And they don't stop. They keep going. That's abusive. It's saying you don't matter. I don't care if this bothers you. I'm going to do it because it works for me. So that's one form, but also it can be more covert withholding affection, withholding resources like finances, withholding time, or it can be restrictive. They isolate you. They don't let you see your family. They don't let you go to a women's retreat. They won't let you. I remember working with a, a couple where a woman's mother was dying of cancer and she wanted to leave the marriage and go help her father take care of her mother. And her husband said, no, because then you won't be available for me and you're my wife, as if she were his property, that she mm -hmm. wasn't allowed to make that decision. So, so that was an oppressive relationship. And he was threatening spiritual abuse as well as emotional abuse to keep her under his thumb and not allowing her to visit her mother and not allowing her to make a choice to do that. It also could be minimizing, telling you you're ridiculous, that nothing you say matters, that you are always overreacting, telling you you're crazy, lying to you. All of that is under the umbrella of emotional abuse because it systematically degrades and diminishes your personhood. It can even eventually destroy you. Now, I'm sure we've all said things to our spouse, to our kids that we regret, but we wouldn't necessarily define ourselves as abusers. So when does a woman know, okay, it's crossed a line from he does this every now and then to this is an abusive person? Well, again, we want to look at the overall power and control dynamic. So what is the effect of abuse and how is it used, whether it's physical abuse, the economic abuse, the spiritual abuse, someone can, you know, be emotionally abusive using the Bible. And they're not necessarily calling your names, calling you names, but they are threatening and intimidating you by saying you have a Jezebel spirit, you're unsubmissive, you're going to go to hell. If you don't do it my way, God's going to punish you. And so that can be very threatening and intimidating, but it's true. We all stumble in many ways. The Bible tells us that we're not perfect. We are sinful. The difference between an abusive person and a sinful person is that when a sinner is called out on their sin, that's why it's so important that we speak the truth in love and we don't enable someone to stay deceived that this is okay. When you say, ouch, stop, don't, this is not okay with me. I won't live like this. This is, this hurts. Most healthy people in a relationship with another healthy person want to maintain the relationship and they know they've done something that's crossed the line that may harm the relationship. And so they own that. They take responsibility for it. They say, you know, you're right. I was hangry. I was short-tempered. I had a bad day at work and I need to learn to control myself better when I get in those places rather than expecting you to just indulge my weaknesses because I'm in a bad place. And I think this is so important that we take responsibility for ourselves. There are a million excuses why we can lose our temper with someone or a million excuses why we can verbally vomit on someone, whether it's life isn't going the way we want, or we don't feel good, or we're hungry, well, all those reasons. 
But if we're going to mature into godly, healthy people, we have to take responsibility for where we're weak. And then what do we need to do to not let that weakness become harmful to someone else in our life that we care about? So that personal awareness factor, repentance is a huge factor in determining whether they're sinful or abusive. Would that be correct? Yeah. I mean, we can all be guilty of an abusive behavior. So maybe you've yanked your kid, you've pulled their hair, you've slapped their face. All of that would be considered abusive behavior, not good discipline or parenting. All right. And you might have lots of excuses. They're driving me crazy. They didn't listen to me. They were talking back to me, all those kind of things. And that's all true, but you're responsible to be the parent and you're responsible for what comes out of your mouth and how you use your hands and body when you're upset. And so recognizing that and taking responsibility. So let's say you did have an abusive incident with one of your children, or you pulled their hair or you slapped them across the face because they were smart mouthing. And you realize that is not appropriate parenting. That is not, that's control. That's saying, I'm going to control the way you talk to me by scaring you to death, by slapping you, by hurting you. And so this is where we need to take responsibility for ourselves. And I might say to my kid, if I did that, I am so sorry, I was wrong. I did not handle myself well when you talked back to me. And I'm going to take responsibility for that piece. And I'm going to learn how to walk away or stop the conversation or have a different form of parental discipline. I need a timeout in order to get my wits about me, in order to not abuse you. And I think this is where kids can really grow healthier when you admit your mistakes. And maybe they can say, and I need to learn to not talk back. And that's a win-win, even in a bad situation. But when you can't talk about it and you won't learn and you blame the other person and that's your excuse, or it works for you. I mean, if you scare your kids, you get a whole lot more compliance than if you try to reason with them, right? But it's not good parenting long-term. And so it works. Abuse works. In the moment, you get control. You get control over someone if you threaten them to harm them or take away privilege or whatever. But in the long run, it's not good for the relationship. And so when someone gives you feedback that that's bothering them, it's time to reset and reevaluate if you want that relationship to work. And so abusers expect the relationship to work, even though they act that way. And this is where the whole idea of marriage, I, I, I have to be really honest, Julie, I have had a number of men who have called me in a crisis after their wife has separated from them and said, I never thought she would leave. She's not allowed to leave. So because she's not allowed to leave, because she's not allowed to have a boundary of, I won't put up with this anymore. I can do whatever I want because there's really no consequence. Wow. She's not allowed to leave. Yeah. Cause God says, God that's called, that's called a red flag ladies. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But he wouldn't tell her that it was like shocking to him that he would, because he never thought she would because she was a Christian. And I'm going to say one more thing. I've worked with some destructive men who actually look for Christian women because of her high value of scripture. He knows she's going to be more forbearing, more forgiving, more tolerant, and willing to put up with it. Okay. So maybe there are a bunch of people listening and recognizing that what they live with day in and day out is actually abusive, but do they really have biblical grounds to separate if they're not sporting a black eye? Well, people will disagree with me, but I believe they do. The church has only been known to recognize adultery as biblical grounds for divorce. 
So it's sort of like, as long as he's not putting his penis in another woman's vagina, because even if he's watching porn or he's having an emotional affair, that doesn't really count as adultery. As long as he's not actually having sexual intercourse with another woman. Oh my gosh. I'm thinking of Bill Clinton right now. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I didn't have sex with that woman. So anything goes, and it's really not true. The Bible uses the word adultery, I believe as a metaphor for unfaithfulness, breaking covenant. God divorced Israel for adultery. She didn't technically commit adultery. She was a nation, but she was chronically unfaithful. And we're not even talking about divorce yet. We're just talking about how do I move away from this person who's harming me? And do I have biblical grounds? If we're married, do I have biblical grounds to move away, to live away from this person in a separate place? And I think you do. And I think there's two biblical grounds for that the first biblical ground is safety. So if you're being harmed physically, you're being harmed sexually. I mean, I've heard the most horrific stories of entitlement with sex so much so that, you know, she's just had a baby, but she has to have oral sex or she has to do sex because his needs are more important than her needs. I mean, just harming someone's body, ripping her her backside because he wants a certain kind of sex. I mean, it's just horrific. And if she's not allowed to say, hey, I'm responsible to steward my body and my health and my safety is at risk here. I'm getting hurt. I'm getting harmed. My health is compromised. I worked with a woman whose church was very conservative and she was trying really hard to stay well. She lived with a very explosive rage a holic, I would call him. And he used this to control the family. I'm the head of the home, sort of like the Wizard of Oz. I am Oz, big and powerful. And he would just scream and yell and lecture for hours and hours and hours about Bible passages and how they were not submissive and just cruel emotional abuse that way. And um, she was trying really hard to stay well. And she was a homeschool mom. She was very bright. She was creative. She taught her kids French from homeschool. It's just, she was an amazing woman. She's taking her kids to the doctor for their annual physical. She had five kids, ages five to like 13 or 14. And the doctor pulls her into a private room and he says, so what's going on at home? And she like panicked thinking, oh my gosh, my kids said something to the doctor. Now, what am I going to say? I don't want to dishonor my husband. You know, she was very into this patriarchal conservative movement. And she looked at him like this blank face with like tears welling up in her eyes. And he said, everyone in your family has high blood pressure. All your children are over the top. I'd like to take your blood pressure. And he took it and it was hers was too. And he goes, what's going on at home? And for her, that was a wake up call. Like, oh my gosh, this is affecting us. This is impacting our bodies, our blood pressure. My five-year-old has high blood pressure. And all of us are being harmed by living with this rageaholic. I'm not doing it anymore. And it was that day that she moved out and rented an apartment and her church disciplined her for separating instead of disciplining him for his behavior. Oh, that makes me so mad. (laughs) It does me too. It does me too. But so I think those who are listening understand that you may believe me or not believe me that I believe you have grounds for separation. I believe the Bible tells you you have grounds for separation for your safety and your sanity, but your church may not agree with you again, because they hold such a high view of marriage that they would rather you die in a marriage or lie and pretend to make it look like it's fine. Instead of being honest with, Hey, this is so toxic. 
I won't live like this. If you had black mold in your house and you were getting sick, I hope you would say, we have to move out. We're not living like this. But if you have emotional abuse and toxicity in your house through your husband, you're not allowed to say that. Sometimes I feel like if a woman could unzip her heart and the pastors or people could see the damage that's been done, they would be horrified. Well, they would. And and not only that, but trauma, you know, churches are becoming more trauma informed and they're talking more about trauma, this complex trauma that happens in relational distress, that's chronic, I mean, inhibits growth. And so you think about the effect on children and their growing brains and their growing emotions and their relational skills and what they're learning and what's being passed on to the next generation. And now they're finding that this not only affects them emotionally, it affects them biologically. It affects their DNA. And so now when we say, wow, the sins of the fathers are passed on to the next generation, it's biologically true that your DNA gets changed by the environment that you live in. And so when we say, oh, it's better for the kids to stay, maybe it's not better for the kids to stay. So how does a woman, if she is realizing I got to get out, how does she know when to leave? Well, I think there's a number of criteria and I'm not going to cover them all, but there is no one size fits all and not everybody is the same. All right. So if we think about safety and sanity, your safety physically, if you're going to be killed or harmed, if you have black mold and you're choking and you can't breathe, your high blood pressure, all those, you might need to leave. But also if it's affecting you emotionally, again, another story, I worked with a woman who was trying to stay in her marriage and her husband required her to be available sexually every night. And she just couldn't stand it. She couldn't stand him touching her because he was so cruel and so harsh with her and so oppressive that she decided the only way I can actually do this is to completely numb myself out. And so she was taking shots of vodka, numbers of them and taking Xanax in order for her to be able to be sexually calm or dead inside actually, so that he could do what he needed to do and be done. Is this healthy? Is this the model that God wants for her body, for his body, for their marriage? Absolutely not. And so her sanity, she was getting more and more depressed. She was getting more and more addicted to these substances. Finally, she checked herself into an inpatient hospital to kind of get a break, but she needed to get clear that she is responsible to steward her safety and her sanity. She is responsible to steward her children's and her precious life and their precious life. And she's in an environment where that's not happening. She needs to take some action. And so I think asking that question, how is what's happening at home impacting you, impacting your health, impacting your spirit, impacting your children, impacting your finances. And so I'm going to just tell another story. I worked with a woman who was trying to stay well, and she was living in a very, her husband was very indifferent. He just didn't pay any attention to her. She was lonely and she was trying to just put up with it. And some women can do that. And she was doing that well, but she discovered through some IRS notices that her husband had been lying to the IRS about his income. 
And there were all kinds of liens now put on her house. She was 60 years old. She was still working, but she was panicked. Like, oh my gosh, we're going to lose our house. Uh, the, the liens were on her savings account, her retirement account, his mm. retirement account. And she said, well, thank God my parents gave me some inheritance money that I can live on. Well, she went to that bank account and that had been completely drained. Her husband took all of it and said, oh, it must've been identity theft. Uh. Long, long story short, she was terrified to spend another night with this man that she didn't even know. She had no idea who he was. And so she separated. And so I think that financial safety, what is the risk to you legally when your husband continues to lie and force you to sign the tax return and you think you have to? And so now you may be legally liable for a huge debt when the IRS catches up with you. And so I think these are issues that the church isn't facing reality when they say, well, just stay and trust God. God tells us to look at reality as well and to the prudent see danger, whether it's financial danger or physical danger or health danger, and take some action to go to safety, to protect yourself. And I think there's all kinds of biblical support for that. We mentioned God woke up Joseph in a dream when Herod was seeking to kill baby Jesus. He didn't say submit to Herod. He didn't say trust me. He said flee. Same was true with David and Saul. When Saul was the king, he was seeking to kill David. David didn't retaliate against Saul, but he certainly fled his presence. He didn't just stay and submit. And so I think it's really important that we understand that God does value your safety uh, physically, but he also values your sanity emotionally and mentally. And he tells you above all else in Proverbs, guard your heart for it is be the wellspring of life. But it also says lots of things like, don't hang out with someone who's angry because you're going to become just like them, or it'd be better to live on a corner of a rooftop than with an angry and contentious person. And so it affects your soul, your spirit, your body to live in this environment day in and day out. And it affects your children. And you may have to leave not only for your safety and sanity, but sometimes leaving becomes the wake up call to your yeah. spouse. Just like I said, all these men said, I never thought she'd leave. That's their wake up call to say, wow, I'm going to lose everything if I don't change. And that's not a bad thing. No, it's an absolutely real thing. Sometimes consequences are the best teacher. When you put your hand on a hot stove, your body tells you, oh, take it off. It's hot. And that protects you. Those burny feelings in your hand protect you from further damage because you took action. If you just left your hand on the stove thinking, well, I need to be a good Christian and I shouldn't let this bother me and this should just be fine and your hand is burning up and your flesh is burning, that's stupid. It's stupid tax. You're paying a consequence for something you didn't need to. You got a warning bell. Take your hand off. But somehow we've made this idea that marriage is so sacred that we're not allowed to listen to our warning bells internally or externally, that something is dreadfully wrong and take action to take our hand off the stove, to separate from someone who is toxic and harming us. So I think ladies, those of you who are in situations like this, thinking that separating is always a bad thing for your husband is not correct. Sometimes it's the best thing that could happen for you and for him. And hopefully he does wake up. I've been doing this work as a therapist. I don't do therapy anymore, but I did do therapy for 35 years. Worked with a lot of broken people, broken marriages. That's what therapists do. 
And I've been doing this work online and in our online support groups and coaching for 10 years now. And I have had, I would say over the years, maybe I've had clients, but we're not going to talk about that. Just let's say the last 10 years, 10, 12 years, I have had maybe 10 to 20 men reach out to me or meet me in person, whether I'm at a conference I'm speaking at, or one time it was in a bookstore. He said, Hey, are you Leslie Vernick? And I'm like, I don't know. It depends on who's asking. (laughs) (laughs) I had my baseball hat on, so you couldn't really tell, but I've had about 10 to 15 men come up to me and say, thank you. Thank you for helping my wife get strong enough to say in a good way, I'm not living like this anymore and leaving me because that woke me up. And that was the only thing that would have woken me up. We sell ourselves short uh, on the tool that we have, not to use it as a manipulative threat all the time. I'm leaving you. If you don't clean up your clothes, I'm leaving. That's That would be absolutely wrong. Some things we just need to put up with in marriage. But when someone is destructive and your health, your safety, or your children's safety, if your children are cutting, they're suicidal. Mm. I, I can't tell you the number of women that I interviewed when I was writing my book saying, do you wish you would have stayed or do you wish you would have left for the sick? Just looking at the kids, the impact on the children. And not one of them said, I wish I would have stayed. And a lot of them said, I wish I would have left. My kids are suicidal. They're depressed. They married an abuser. They are an abuser. It's just, you have to decide. I am not continuing this generational sin. And that this is not the life that God expects me to live. This is not this. I mean, again, sometimes we're in situations where we have no control. We're in a government that has power over us. We're living in an oppressive regime. We're living in a concentration camp. We've been kidnapped by somebody, whatever. We're, we have no choices, but that's not what marriage is. And that's not what marriage was designed for. And so let's put apples and oranges in different crates. So if you are in a concentration camp or you're in world war II and you're under Hitler's regime and you're living like Viktor Frankl, you just make the best of where you are. But marriage is designed to be a loving and safe partnership, not a master-slave dictatorship. Amen. (laughs) Leslie, let's say a woman does leave, at least for a time. What should life or the relationship look like during separation? Do they continue counseling? Do they go on dates to work on the marriage? Or should it they not have any interaction at all. What, what does life look like during separation? I think that's really an individual decision. I think that's really something that a woman will have to decide what she wants and needs. And also the depend, a lot of it will depend on her, the response of her husband. So I would say that if her husband says after she's separated, wow, this is my wake up call. I'm going to counseling. I'm going to work on me. I'm going to get help. I would love to see the kids for visitation and you see him take the kids and he's better with them and he's paying the bills and he's doing what he needs to do to improve himself. I think that restoring some lines of communication and some opportunities to see how he is with you, with the children, and also practicing no. Because you see, when we think about the abusive relationship of one of oppressive power and control, one of the things you need to continually test, just like Joseph tested his brothers with the money, you need to continually test your no. So when you say, no, I'm not ready for you to move back home, or no, I don't want to talk on the phone tonight, I'm tired, 
is he respectful of that? Or does he manipulate you, guilt trip you, try to scare you into, well, uh, I don't know how long I can hang on here. If you're not willing to talk to me and you're not willing to have sex with me, I guess I'm going to have to find someone else. So it's still all about him, right? He's not verbally abusing you at that moment, but he is bullying you and intimidating you in your no. And that is information. It's painful information. Like, oh my gosh, I don't matter. But it scares you into saying yes, which is what he typically do, does. And so it's really important for you to practice your no to see if he is moving into letting you have your no, of respecting your no, of saying, I don't like it, but okay, I get it. Well, and I know some men will, you move out and immediately they're in counseling and it's flowers all the time. And it's, I'm, they're wonderful to the kids for about a week. And the woman thinks God's done a miracle and she moves back in and you know, it, it wasn't a miracle at all. It was a stretch of love bombing. So how does a woman know, okay, it is safe to move back in? Well, again, it's always good to test the waters on things like that, because it's very hard on the children to go back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, including it's hard on you and it's hard on him. Mm-hmm. So I, th- I think to be able to see if he's doing his own work is the test of starting to see how is he interacting with the children? Is it different? Do they feel safe? Is he willing to hear your feedback? For example, let's say, hey, I I just want to give you some feedback. When the children with you, they told me that they didn't get lunch, that you didn't even think about lunch, that you were so busy working or in the computer, they didn't get lunch. Is he grateful for your feedback or is he resentful? Does he put you down? Can you give him suggestions? Can you tell him what you don't like and what you like? Is he willing to listen? Is he willing to compromise? Is he willing to work with you? Or is it still his way or the highway? Is are his needs more important than everybody else's needs? I'm so lonely. I can't stand it. I'm, I don't know what to do with myself. I need to move back home. So that trumps everything else, including your safety. Or is he lonely? And he can admit that, but he says, you know, I understand that you need your time and I'm willing to respect that. So those are all kinds of things that you will be able to see long before. What I want you to understand though, is that chronic addictions, abuse, or chronic adultery and deceit all around that are not marriage problems. These are individual character issues that often cause separation, but they don't get fixed by him coming back home and working together. You need to come back home and work together on the marriage once his issues are fixed. But if he's not working on why he was such a liar, why he was willing to cheat Mm -hmm. on you all these times, why he's abusive and what else can he do when he feels disappointed or he feels angry or he feels upset besides verbally vomit on everybody? And how does he manage his feelings when he gets that way? Because of course he's going to get that way again. He just has to learn how to handle them now. If he doesn't do his own work, you can't really rebuild broken trust and broken safety because he hasn't fixed the root problem. Sort of like if you have termites in your house, And they've done a lot of wood damage. And you say, oh my gosh, we've got to bring in a carpenter and repair these windows and all the window ledges and all the window wells are chewed up and you don't get rid of the termites. Why would you rebuild your window ledges before getting rid of the termites? And so if he's got these issues internally, that's creating an abusive personality, a need to control his anxiety over you going to work or you having friends or you leaving for a walk, create such insecurity in him that he wants you to be home all the time. He's got to work on that. It's not your problem to solve his fear, his anxiety, or his anger issues. He's got to work on them. And if you're not seeing him do any work, 
and you don't see any progress in those areas, repairing the marriage isn't really possible. You're just going to be repeating the same song, different verse. What would seeing him do work look like? What should a woman expect or want to see? Well, I think the first step is owning that taking responsibility that I have work to do, that losing my temper is not your fault. You might aggravate me because truth is we do aggravate people. People aggravate me, but how I handle that is up to me. Right. So he's not, uh, do people tempt me sexually or whatever? Yeah. How I handle that is up to me. So what boundaries is he putting in place? What support is he getting? What accountability is he willing to have? What learning is he gaining about himself and where is he going to do that? And here's where we talk about not giving him a big old list to do. Yes. Because if you're trying to create the kind of person he should be, that's not going to work. He's got to decide the person he wants to be. So does he want to be an honest man? Well, then he needs to learn how to do that when he gets upset or gets scared. Does he want to learn to be a faithful man? Well, then he needs to figure out how to do that when he gets tempted or he sees a pretty woman or he's alone in a room with a computer or what controls boundaries does he need to put? He needs to decide that and invite other people. Doesn't mean he couldn't invite you to help him with that, but he needs to decide, hey, I want to be different than I've been. Just like if someone decided, hey, I want to run a marathon. Well, I have no idea how to run a marathon. I better look on the internet to see what training I need to do. I can't do it yet, but I want to run a marathon or I want to be a fisherman. Hmm, I think I'll take up golf. I don't know how to golf. What kind of golf clubs should I buy? I need help. I better look for help. If he's not doing any of that and you're saying, hey, I think I'd like you to play golf. Here's the golf pro. Here's your golf bag. That's not going to help him golf because if he doesn't want to learn that, just like, I don't want to learn certain things. I'm not going to put my heart into it. I also was thinking of a illustration recently that I heard someone say about repentance. And you know, that typical definition of repentance that we hear is you go one direction and you turn around and you go the other way. And he said, that's not it at all. That repentance is a change of mind that causes you to turn around and go the other way. Mm-hmm. I think that's what you're talking about is, is he changing his mind about the way that he treated you about his behaviors so that that motivates him to start doing something else instead of his motivation being just to get you back. Exactly. And I think this is so crucial. So we can all do a lot of behaviors and the illustration I think women can relate to is losing weight. All right. So I have a big party or a big class reunion I have to go to in two months. So I'm all motivated to lose weight and I do it. I eat right. I exercise every day. I go shopping for my dress. I get my dress. I fit into my dress. I lost the weight. I go to my reunion. And now my motivation is over. I did what I needed to do, right? And now I'm eating again, like I've always eaten. This is what separation can do. He's motivated to come Mm -hmm. home. So he's doing the work, especially all the work that you've given him on this big old long list. You need to go to counseling. You need to join a support group. You need to put controls on your computer. You need to do whatever it is that you put down there. He's going to do all that. Check, 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 check. Now I get to come home. Like I exercise, I ate right. I fit in my dress. Now I get to go to my reunion and look good. And then he's home. And what motivation does he have? None. He's home. He reached his goal. So he's not going to continue the work. And so this is where you have to really see this change of mind. So the change of mind is not, I want to lose weight to fit into a dress for my class reunion, but I want to eat healthy. What does that look like for me? 
How do I need to plan my meals better? Who's going to help me? How am I going to make sure that when I'm really hungry, I don't revert to my chocolate bar and get something healthy instead? What's a healthy snack? I need to learn how to eat healthy. And it's a commitment for a lifetime, not just for a few pounds. This is the difference. And this is why you can't make that commitment for him. I want to be a better man. I want to be a godly man. I want to be a good man. You can't make that commitment. And so I would just say, for those of you listening, part of your work to do is to accept the man he wants to be. And what I mean by accept is not necessarily live with, but accept. Just like Jesus accepted Judas and Judas was Judas and he wasn't going to change and Judas didn't want to. And Jesus finally let him go. He said, go do what you're going to go do. And so Mm -hmm. I think he didn't try to give Judas a list. Now you need to do this. And he didn't even with Peter. When Peter messed up, he told Peter, hey, Peter, you're going to mess up. I'm just giving you a warning. Oh, not me. I'm never going to mess up. But when Peter messed up, he realized, I'm not as strong as I thought I was. I'm not the man I thought I was. I'm not as courageous as I thought I was. And he began to change. If any key that I could give you, if you choose to separate, do it for a purpose of healing yourself and getting safe and hopefully for him to heal and for him to learn to Mm -hmm. be safe as a man, as a husband, but if he has no heart to want to do it, and you'll see that by his actions, is he looking for a counselor? Is he treating you different? Not love bombing treatment, truly treating you different when you disagree, when you say no, when you want input, when you give him feedback, is it different now? And is he indicating to you, I really see the man I was is not the man I want to be. I want to be different. I want to learn to be a healthier man. Just like I hope you who are listening, you want to be a stronger woman. You don't want to be a passive pushover, enabler of evil in your household. You want to be a godly woman who smiles at the future unafraid because you are clothed with strength and dignity. It seems like whatever a woman chooses, whether it's to separate, to stay, to divorce, that every one of those choices involves a level of suffering. Yes. Yes. You're so right. And I think this is an important warning for every woman is that divorce or separation isn't like, oh, now I'll feel great. (laughs) Right. You might not be in danger anymore, but now you have all kinds of challenges. Like how do I support myself? How do I live alone? How do I be the sole parent of four kids? How do I homeschool my kids and still work? Maybe I can't do all that. So there's new challenges. And there's new obstacles and new suffering. And all of that is for your good to learn and to grow and to mature and to be the person that God calls you to be. But it's hard. And this is something that I really want to warn you about if you're a woman who's thinking about this. You have, just like your husband has his work to do, you have your work to do. Please don't think that all of your problem is him. It's not. Because you have your own work to do, because what a lot of women do in our organization in Conquer is they leave a destructive husband and then they want to find another man who's not destructive. That's their goal. Like, I'm going to find a man who's a good man who can take care of me, who can love me like I want, who can be the man I want him to be. And they're not healthy enough themselves to be in a healthy relationship. And so they don't attract healthy people. They attract people who are going to be maybe a little different than their first husband but they're repeating the same cycle. And we've had women in our organization who've been married two, three, four times because they found themselves in the same boat because they didn't do their own work. Your chooser might be a little broken right now. And so it's so important for you not to think of, 
I've got to find someone else to take care of me. Mm -hmm. Your job right now, if you're going to separate, is I need to learn to take care of me and my children so that I don't need another person. If I find another person and I want to partner with him and all of that, that may be something down the road, but I don't need it in order to be okay. I literally just spoke with a woman last week who had just divorced her third husband and she felt a lot of shame about that. And she joined Conquer and through a couple of years in Conquer, she said, I just lived and breathed the material. I watched the videos. I participated in the calls. I did everything. And she, she just talked about what a different person she is today and how now she can literally look at a man that she would have been attracted to. And it's almost repulsive to her because she's changed and she did her work. So yes, is that a commercial for Conquer? Yes. And I'm not ashamed to say it. It's a place where you really can go and do the work on you to get some healing as well. And and we just pray that God can do the same work in your husband as well. Yeah. And so separation isn't the final step. It's a step in getting healthy and inviting your husband to get healthy and strong as well. You can't do his work for him. And as much as you love him, and this is so important because we want to do everything in love. And so even saying no to someone or saying, hey, I can't do relationship with you anymore. So here's the story in scripture where Jesus showed this. So the rich young ruler meets with Jesus and says, what do I need to do to have eternal life? And Jesus says, well, you need to love God and and honor your, whatever he said, a couple of commandments, love God was one of them. And the, the rich young ruler said, I, I've got that covered. And he said, well, then sell all your riches and come and follow me. Sell all your stuff and come and follow me. And the rich young ruler said, don't really want to do that. So let's say you're in that same boat. You say to your husband, hey, I need you to get healthy and I want to live with you. I love you. I want to have a relationship with you, but I'm not willing to live like this anymore. I need you to get healthy. What I need is a man who's going to be honest. What I need is a man who's going to be faithful. What I need is a man who's going to handle his temper in ways that are constructive and not destructive. That's what I need in order to be safe. You decide who you want to be. You can say that in love. So Jesus says, this is what I need to have a relationship with you. You need to sell all your stuff and give it to the poor and come and follow me. And the rich young man said, mm, don't want to pay that price. Don't want to do it. And Jesus let him go. And it says he loved him. So when we're dealing with a destructive spouse and we're doing our own work so that we're not separating out of bitterness and resentment and hatred, and we might do that at first because that's the only way we can separate and we need to get safe. But doing our own work to say, I love you enough to not want to control you. I don't want to tell you who you have to be in order to be married to me. What I'm telling you is what I need. You decide whether you want to be that kind of person. And if you don't, I will accept that. I can't live with that, but I will accept you can be whoever you want to be. And if you want to be a man who watches porn and sleeps with 50 women and lies and cheats, and I wouldn't say those things to him, but in your mind, you're saying, if that's who you want to be, who am I to change that? I can't change that. Even Jesus didn't change Judas and he didn't change the rich young ruler. So this is the maturity that we need to move into is to say, you are free to be whoever you want to be, but I can't live with that in a good way. 
These are some tough conversations, some tough, tough decisions. And I know we've got some women that are listening that are right in the middle of that. Leslie, would you pray for them? I will. Oh, Lord, we never, ever get married thinking we are going to get separated or divorced. That is never on our radar. And Lord, you don't want us to. You want us to work it out. You want us to humble ourselves and mature. You want us to grow through the dark times and the hard times. And you want us to be committed to be the person that you call us to be. And that you want us to want that for ourselves. But Lord, you are respectful of our no. And you don't force people to be who they don't want to be. You don't force people to read the Bible. You don't force people to tell the truth. You don't force people to love. And when they're filled with foolishness and wickedness and hatred and recklessness and abusive behavior, and they don't want to change, they're toxic to others. And Father, I just pray that women who are listening, who are living with someone like that, that you would just give them the freedom to take care of themselves and their children without guilt. And that they would give their husband the freedom to be exactly who he wants to be, even if they can't stay married. You can love even your enemy, you tell us, but you can't live with an enemy because they're harmful. And so, Lord, I pray that you would just give women the peace of mind and courage to do what you're calling them to do and that they would want to do that. And it may not be what they traditionally have been thinking about, just suffer and sacrifice to enable someone else to be destructive. That's so contrary to what you say and what you show. Help us to do it different. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to Relationship Truth Unfiltered. If you need clarity on whether your marriage is difficult, disappointing, or destructive, go to leslievernick.com forward slash start for Leslie's free quick start guide. It's totally private and will help you get clear on your next step. Again, that's leslievernick.com forward slash start. Until next time, may God bless your relationships with him, with yourself, and with others.